out, nobody on. The playoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome back to the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Vibber, and I'm joined tonight by Niv Shaw and Chad Young. It's been a while, guys. It's nice to nice to chat with you guys tonight. We've got a month of the season in the books here, and uh, we I figured we'd just have like a little, I called it a fireside chat. Chad was laughing at that, but <laughs> just a, a very It made sort me feel of... like we should have like stifters of whiskey and a fire going <laughs> and like chair, a big armchair. Yeah, yeah. I need my it, smoking if, jacket on. It, if that's what you want to do, then that's absolutely what you should have done. But we'll just, we'll sort of, we've got a couple topics, but it's kind of, we're just going to kind of roll in and out of them. A couple housekeeping items first before we start, though. I wanted to say congrats to Niv on a successful first season of Auto New Basketball. Thanks, Justin. I had a blast playing it. As somebody who hadn't really been following NBA very much recently, I had a ton of fun. I had a win. I won the championship. <laughs> it, even if I hadn't, like, yes, I did. But even if I hadn't, I still had a lot of fun. It was nice to have another sport to sort of pay attention to in yeah. that kind of natural gap, along with the baseball and football. And I, I everything I see, it, it seemed I like everything was, was working really well. Like season, it, and I thought it was fun, and I thought the game worked, right? And, like, the things you look at first are, do the auto new principles, economic principles, team-building principles, do they work in all sports? And it's starting to look like, you know, you can apply them pretty evenly and figure out a good way to make them work. So it worked really well for basketball. I was really happy with it. My team wasn't so great. Quite unlucky, I think we decided for the categories. Yeah. I ran into a lot of buzzsaws, but the game worked really well. It was really fun. And I totally agree. It, it added a lot to the NBA regular season for me. And I think it did for a lot of the other people. I already followed the NBA pretty heavily, but I know a lot of people in League One, for example, aren't as big NBA fans. Yeah, Chad's, Chad, Chad, chief among them. <laughs> but, you know, we had great banter in the Slack channel, the Auto New Basketball Slack channel, which I really enjoyed. And I thought it was a lot of fun. And I'm really glad that, and I'm looking forward to next season even more because I think a lot of us in League One have like, coalesced around a set of strategies that i'm excited to see how it plays out this year so and if i'm not mistaken arbitration yeah, just so, started on uh, you know if you May, are playing right? in the basketball league check out league homepage your league homepage there is uh arbitration in progress until the end of the month at the end of the month we will have the off season and off season trades and all that good stuff until the keeper deadline which i think i set for august or september i don't know yet because it It'll shift depending on when the NBA calendar sort of makes itself obvious. I don't want it to be too early, but, you know, we need to see what the full NBA schedule looks like. And they've been doing a lot of interesting things and modifying how they manage their schedule. And so that players have uh, more ability to play the full weeks and there's not as much rest. That's become less of a problem in, in recent years and they want to make that more of a thing. So, you know, we're going to be flexible with it, but... It's year-round basketball, and that's pretty rare. I was talking to a couple people today about that, actually, and how between the depth of prospects, uh, you know, the draft coming up, that's going to be a big moment for the league. We have a lot of guys who are who play in 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 EuroLeague or in the Slovenian league, which I think I had to add midseason, that are rostered and you know are NBA prospects. And so, if you want, if you're interested in like deep prospecting and and that kind of thing, I think basketball is really well oriented for that and really forgiving on letting people go deep there. So that is a partial pitch. And then the other part of the pitch is that it's super fun. It's just fun to watch basketball games, having a little extra fantasy stuff going on with them. And I've always said, like, when I've talked to other people that maybe don't follow sports, whatever the sport may be, I've always told them that's one of the I best learned ways so to many get players like, this year. knowledge. Even I learned so many players, let yeah. alone, like, someone yeah, I mean, who it, follow the league as closely. Like, it was really right. interesting. And it also made me reorient yeah. my thinking about what a good player is, uh, especially because we're playing we're playing in a mm -hmm. nine category league. So the kinds of things that are are capital G good in that league are different. So that was fun. I, it was really great. And yeah, thanks. I, I'm excited for year two. Yeah, I, it should be fun. I, it's definitely going to be I'm going to I only had one league. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to add at least another one. So it should be should be a very good time. Another housekeeping item real quick. Chad, obviously, I think the last time we recorded, he had already been doing the Keeper Cut podcast, but he is now 
also recording a different podcast. You want to talk about that real quick, Chad? Yeah, so I've, I'm doing the first pitch podcast, which has historically been hosted by Nick Pollock and Alex Fast. It's one of the pitcherless podcasts, and it's, it is a daily, it's supposed to be daily 15 minutes. It usually bleeds over closer to 20, but it's basically just news and notes. And so I'm doing the weekends. I'm doing Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Scott Chu and James Shiano are doing the other days of the week. But basically every day, one of the three of us is putting something out that is going to be a quick review of transactions, injuries, roster changes, and then top performances from the night before and stuff we're looking for for the next day. So could be pitchers who we think are good streaming options. Sometimes I'll talk about pitchers who I'm just looking to see something from. I'll talk about offenses that I think are set up for a good day. And the idea, like the, the tagline on it, on it is like, it's everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. And that's that's really what it is, is like, if you if you read nothing else, looked at nothing else, did nothing else about baseball, you could listen to this and every morning know, oh, these guys are on the IL, these guys are off the IL, this guy got called up, this guy got pulled from the game, and here are the top performances from yesterday. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's way more work than I thought it would be. I thought it was like, I already watch a lot of baseball. I'll just talk about the things I know. <laughs> and then it was like, I do watch a lot of baseball. I also don't watch a lot of baseball. Like, there's so much baseball going on every day that even if you watch a lot of it, you don't watch a lot of it, right? There's just so much more than you can possibly right. watch. And so, you know, every every night I'm doing that, I do have to comb through box scores and see what's going on. And like, you'll notice things in box scores like, this guy got pulled for a pinch hitter in the seventh inning. It's like, well, did he get pulled for a pinch hitter because of matchups? Or did he get hit by a pitch or you know, pull something legging out a ground ball? And then I have to go look for news on that player to figure out what happened. And, you know, and, and then the, the one that's the most challenging for me is this guy got a save and I didn't think he was the closer for his team. And so now I've got to go poke around on Twitter and figure out why like, that happened. Was it matchups? Did the close, right. Did, you know, did, so like yesterday, it's a great example. I didn't actually do the, the pod today. Someone else, uh, I think James did. I can't remember who did it today, but Hater did not get the save from Milwaukee yesterday. Devin Williams did. And there hadn't been any real reports of issues for Hater. And then all of a sudden Williams is in and Hater hasn't pitched in like three or four days. And so just the fact that Williams came in, came into the sudden like, oh, something's obviously wrong with Hater. And it turned out after the game that he has been having some, I think, some back issues or something. It doesn't sound yeah. like it's major. He's not going to the IL or anything like that. But, like, people listening to the podcast expect me to be able to update them on, like, Williams got the save. It's not a changing the guard. Here's go what's going on with Hayter. So they can make decisions and things like, oh, I'm going to stream Williams for the next couple of days because Hayter might not be back yet. And, and so digging into that takes a lot more time than I thought because usually I would just be like, Oh, Hater didn't get the save. I don't really have any shares of Hater and I don't really have any shares of Williams, so whatever. <laughs> yep, <laughs> but yep. the format is great, by the way. And I think uh, was it Ariel Cohen and Jeffrey Zimmerman had both had like, really glowing yeah. tweets. Yeah. 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 So anybody who's not already listening to that, please be sure to check it out because it it's great. And to be honest with you, like I've I've wanted there to be a format like that for myself. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I can't really commit to like a daily 40 or hour long show. But 15, 20 minutes is perfect, especially when you're listening to it at two and a half or uh, two, two times speed like I do. So, but yeah, that's, that's a really cool gig and it's, it's fun to hear you on another show, Chad. So <laughs> it's, it's fun to do it. It's uh like I said, it is a lot of work, but it's, it's I can imagine great it is, for yeah. my, my knowledge of what's going on. So I'm enjoying it from that perspective. Yeah. All right. So next thing I want to talk about real quick is how has the first month been for, for our teams? Like how have your home leagues been? We can briefly touch on OPL because I know we have all, all, we all have OPL entries. Yeah. Nate, why don't you go first? How, how, how have your squad great. been? <laughs> well, that's not fair. Uh, I'll talk about league one first. Uh, my team is uh, in, down at the bottom, 11th, uh, 12th ish. And actually like what I'm, the way I'm thinking about that team, uh, the pitching has just not been what I want it to be. And that's, that's okay. I took a lot of risks in pitching the last two years. I think I've talked about that a lot on this show. We've we've had a lot of conversations about high risk pitching and and you know that totally played out for me well in the short season in 2020 and didn't work last year. I tried to reduce my risk a little bit this year, but hasn't really worked out great. The hitting is interesting to me on my team because I really expected it to be 
better than it is. I have Mookie Betts. I have Chris Bryant. Bryant has not played very much and he hasn't hit any homers. Mookie Betts uh, has played a lot and has been pretty pretty bad. He's had a couple of great games, but overall not great. I have Shohei Otani, who I'm still hitting as much as I can. And he, he's, he's been rough at the plate. He's been rough at the plate. I mean, the pitching has yeah. been good, but at the and, plate, um, rough, yeah. And then I also have Mike Trout, who is who has sort of reestablished himself now that Juan Soto literally never has to be thrown a strike because the Nats lineup is so dire. Juan Soto was pushing Trout for a little bit there, but it seems like Trout was like, no, I, I heard his name enough times last year. It's like, let me remind you guys what I am. He's been a monster. He's been great. But uh, unfortunately, my team just doesn't have a lot of guys like that. And the guys who I expected to be sort of replacement me and tread water so that my stars, you know, my team would then be a sort of in the top half of offense. They've all been just total bad. So we're going to talk about this a little bit more later. I, I think I'm going, normally I'd be, one of the ways I operate in League One is because I do have like sort of a, a good relationship with every other person in the league. I tend to make trades pretty early and I try to make trades pretty often. You know, Chad and I have already talked trade a little bit in that league. And, you know, I, I, I definitely poke around and I'm not shy to have that conversation, but I'm kind of leaning towards holding out. And I think we're going to talk about more why later, but I think, I think my guys are being, and man, it's easy to say this, but I think my guys are being affected by this new environment, the batting environment. And I felt a little bit burned the last three or four years each year, other than 2020 when I won, of selling on a guy just a little too high in the season or, or a little too early in the season. Sorry, I misspoke. So that I'm selling like a little low and I'm like a little bit panicky. I'm like, what is Mookie? Is Mookie Betts just cooked or whatever? And and this year, I think I'm going to wait it out and see if these guys adjust to the new environment. I feel like I have I'm over indexed on guys who are getting slammed by it. And I can't, I, I don't believe that in this, it's been a month. That's a lot of time in fantasy terms. It's not a lot of time in an entirely new offensive environment terms. And I have to, in my, my personal opinion, I think I'm going to hold out and see what we can do. I see if these guys can start like, hitting the ball as the weather gets a little warmer and they're a little bit more used to the ball. We're going to have like a long conversation about that later. So I don't want to get too deep into that. And then real quick, obviously I'll hand this over to Chad to talk about uh, League 13 a little bit. We're in Fangraph staff together. Chad and I are are co-managing a team. That team in the Hawk and Hawks, I think is uh, middle-ish in that league. And do it, and it survived the first OPL cut. We are managing that team. We're managing the heck out of that team in order to survive in both a pretty competitive staff league, a staff league that has in fact refound some of its competitiveness and its energy. It's it's doing really well this year, and and also to like you know power our way into our goal is obviously the playoffs or bust for OPL. So that's been really fun because we're, we've started incorporating. And I, I want to let Chad talk about this a little bit more because it's mostly Chad that's thinking this about that stuff. We've been incorporating like moves right before the snap and then moves right after the snap so that we can balance what we think are the optimal uh, sort of depth depth chart numbers you want for an OPL squad versus the optimal depth chart numbers you want for a daily transactions head-to-head points league, which are uh, surprisingly different, I would say. Not massively different, but the ways they're different are surprising. So Chad's been doing a lot of, we've been doing a lot of pitcher juggling in that league right chad yeah i mean i think the the pitcher juggling is sort of where it stands out because of relievers right so for for opl i think you want a small number of high volume relievers for a head-to-head league in particular you want lots of relievers right i mean you want you need lots of relievers in any points league because they score a lot of points, but they're effectively uncapped points in a head-to-head league, right? They aren't working against it because you have a starting, a start game started cap on your starting pitchers, but nothing on your relievers. And so you want to be able to work in as many different relievers as you can in that head-to-head league. And so we have gone through a like, go up to, you know, go down to four relievers before the first snap, then jump back up to seven, but then get back down to four before the second snap and then get back up to seven. And I think one of the one of the areas where being in a co-manager situation is a little challenging is that we do have we we have to discuss which guys we want to do this with and who's in and who's out. Whereas if I like if I were doing this on my own, 
I would actually be aiming to start auctions, like have my OPL auctions and, you know, the evening before the snap so that going like the day of the day before the snap, I've got all of my relievers lined up. Everything is just the way I want it to be for the regular session. Then a bunch of guys show up and then you have a bunch of relief pitcher auctions ending at like first thing in the morning, the day of the snap. So that by the time games start that afternoon or that evening, you've actually already recycled and gone back to a different roster. And the challenge really is it means that you have to you have to churn a lot more, right? So like even like we've been having this debate right now about our multi-position guys and like Josh Harrison has been terrible, but he qualifies at second, short, third, and outfield, and he's really useful for OPL because of that if he gets going at all. Similarly, like Brad Miller hasn't been great. He has three positions. Tyro Estrada has been decent, has three positions. But like none of those guys are useful for us at all. Guys, guys we're we just never going to play. We're not using them in our 13. Yeah. 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 But if we cut them, we can't get them back before the next snap because it won't have been 30 days. And so you have to be cautious about like if we cut them all, then we're not going to be able to find enough to replace them going into June, assuming we make the cut for June, which right now is a, it's a little, little rough. Although we're having yeah. a good day today, I think. Also, I want to go back and, um, and I, I said we're middling. We're one in five in 13. We are. We have, we're, we're one in five. We're middling we're in, points. in points. Yeah. So the, that that's like the. So it's a really interesting situation. We seem to be a little unlucky. And we're also like. We're in the top 100 of the second round of OPL. So we're not like, you know, this is a, this is a solid team that's doing pretty well. We're not making massive lineup decision changes, uh, mistakes, as far as I can tell. So uh, it, it's it's a pretty interesting that that's a pretty interesting team and, and league and OPL like that all coming together is has been really fun. This is like also it's my only points league, right? Or league that has points scoring in it. So it's pretty interesting to engage with. What about your other? I know you you two share that team. What about your other squads there, Chad? So <laughs> Justin made a note here, which I it goes back to a conversation we before, which is why don't you know how your teams are doing, Chad? Because the note that the, the topic here was listed as how has the first month been for our teams? And I was like, oh, man. Yeah. I, I don't know. I know how you're uh, doing. I was I mean, they're doing well. <laughs> For the most part, they are, actually. I knew I was doing well in League One. So my, my team in League One, the Freeport Pretzels, is in first place and has also been hovering around the top 10 for OPL. And I'm very aware of my teams I'm doing in OPL, so I knew that team was doing pretty well. But I was, I was saying to, to Niv and Justin before we recorded that usually I have, like, just enough time on, on most nights to, like, check how my teams perform for the night and set my lineups for the next day and, and poke at auctions. Like, are there any ongoing auctions or, or anything like that I want to bid on? And then like two to three times a week, I spend a bit more time diving into the standings. How is this team doing overall? Are there changes I want to make? Stuff like that. First pitch podcast is taking up that time for me, that extra time I usually have. And so I'm, I'm like less engaged, but looking at my teams right now, um, my, my auto new teams, I've got two teams in first place. I've got two teams in third place, and then I've got a sixth place team that I think is better than it's doing, and a ninth place team, which is the one with Niv that we just said we know is better than it's doing. It's just gotten some some bad luck in the standings compared to the points we're scoring. So I feel pretty good about that. I've got my my CBS head-to-head league that I've talked with you guys about before. I'm in first on that, and that team is just cruising right now despite serious injury issues it's it's in first place pretty comfortably and i've got blake snell lance lynn and nick lodolo coming back soonish i think and then my nfbc team is terrible like terrible terrible and i have no idea what to do to turn it around because i feel like i've got decent players i have a lot of injuries there too my pitching staff has just been decimated yeah it's been in general. I think most of my my non auto new teams have been sort of okay, except for that CBS league. N- nothing really great, I wouldn't say. But very happy with with my auto new results so far. Now that I've taken time to look at them. 
<laughs> you're, you're just learning about it tonight. My, I have one entry in OPL this year, and it's the 4x4 league that I'm in with Chad, the food and travel league. I finished second in that league last year. I'm right now sort of hovering around first. That league, that team's been... Hovering around well, first is... <laughs> he's seven points I mean, clear of second as of right now. Well, but what I mean by that is that I've been dropping, and and the team in second has been, has been pushing forward, and I don't expect... I mean, I kind of think that my team's going to be in that first, second, third, not like running away with the first place. So, but I made the snap. I I survived the snap for the first round in OPL with that squad, kind of below the red line of doom right now. But no, you're, I'm not, you're. I think you're. Am up, I above it now? I think you are. I'm looking right now. So as of right now, and we are we are recording oh. Wednesday afternoon <laughs> at like five thirty Eastern. My my team that I'm managing alone is in fourth overall, which I'm. Very, very excited about. The Hawks that Niv mentioned that he and I are co-managing has moved up to 68th, which is which is nice. I'd like to get us comfortably in there because the other thing that we, we actually, well, let me, I'll come back to that in a second. Justin, you're in 85th. So you're, you know, maybe not comfortably above the line, but above it, which is good. I, but, I was like 128 this morning. Nice. So yeah, you've had a big day. You've had 110 points, 118 points already, which and, is pretty and, good. Not not to interrupt you, but that's no thanks to me being the only team in OPL right now that's rostering John Birdie, and he hit two home runs today. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> there you go. You take the victories so, when you when you get them. Yeah. The other thing going on with the the Hawks that I that we should have mentioned before Niv is we have made a bet that holding yeah. some injured players and prospects we, would we not hurt us that badly. That's not even the right. So bet. that I don't, roster, that's not even how I'd say we made the bet. I think we made a bet that. We okay. have a couple of prospects and injured players that will get us a better return in the third snap so that going forward we'll have a stronger team than they would have if we cut them and used them for churn. We're making a bet that we can survive the first two snapshots with a couple dead roster spots that then we can hopefully turn into that. And we also are the second bet is that we can turn them into like real assets before the June, June snap or whatever. Yeah. And the, the three players that really applies, I mean, Chris Bryant's on the IL for us, but his IL stint's supposed to be short. And I think we're, that that was less a like bet on anything than him just thinking he'll be back soonish. But we have George Valera, George Kirby, and Andrew Haney. And the hope is that by the end of this month, we'll either have clarity on when Haney's coming back and be able to count on him. Or the end that maybe Kirby will be that up. We'll have there's a, a real couple chance of those Kirby's guys up. Or we can turn... Right. Yeah, because or we'll they're, not, them. they're definitely rosterable prospects. They're not prospects that are so far away as to be looked at as non-assets, I think. Right. And I think that what we were what we're sort of gambling on here is that when you look at the like the top free agents that are out there, the guys that we could theoretically add to help our team for OPL right now, if we did something like cut Valera or did something like cut Haney, they just they weren't good options. And so Yeah, that's right. We basically were saying, okay, we could, yeah. I mean, I, I think we're, we're like looking through we're the free agent board and we're like, like why would we want to cut Kirby for one right. of these guys? Right. The 30 points that we would get this round, this snap, by cutting Kirby and adding some terrible player is just not worth it. And if that ends up being the difference, like if we end up 101st because we didn't get the, or 105th or whatever, because we didn't get those 30 points because we didn't cut Kirby then the team probably wasn't good enough to make yeah, the next not cut good anyways enough to and get, get the playoffs. Yeah, not good enough to go deep, at least, yeah. So it's, I mean, that's at Whereas least the way look at where we are about. now, like, yeah. yeah. And where we are right now, where we're like in the 60s, whatever, if we can hang around there and finish this snapshot in the 60s and late in this snapshot, trade Valera and Kirby for a legitimate right. upgrade, that might be enough to bump us from being in the 60s to getting up to 32 and making the playoffs rather than just cutting them for something now because there was no trade market for them yet, it was which too makes early. sense because it's, it, yeah, you know, it's like three early. weeks into the season. Right. Yeah. So it's, that'll be an interesting, uh, that it's sort of an interesting thing. Cause I think the, I don't want to say like the common wisdom, but certainly the, there's a lot of uh, noise around the idea that OPL means on day one, if you have entered an OPL team on opening day and all the way through, you must have 40 working roster spots. And I think I personally, I think there is an argument that you can, that you don't necessarily need all 40 working roster spots until you're in the playoffs. Once you're in the playoffs, I, I think it's pretty hard to 
to advance against other teams that all are working all 40 roster spots. But it's just there. there's a lot of I think there's more forgiveness than people think. And we're going to test it out and we're going to find out. And, you know, it'll be an interesting counterpoint or or whatever. I, I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, I for me, it's less about forgiveness. And I, and I think it comes into play before the third snap rather than before the playoffs. Like I think getting yeah, that top might be right. is tough. I think for me, it, it's less about forgiveness and more that if your team, if your top 37 players aren't good enough to get you into the top 100 overall, then your 38th through 40th players aren't going to get you to the playoffs, right? Like that difference right. isn't big enough. If your top 37 can get you into the top 100, and then you can you do can something turn those three players those into your new spots. number one or number two or number three player. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's that's where I think that that comes from. But we'll see. Well, the other part of that, too, is that the the points that you lose out on in the first couple of rounds by rostering those prospects, assuming you survive the cut, it's they a, get cut. It's a, it's like, a fourth, what is it? Yeah, 75 percent is lopped off. Right. So the opportunity cost assuming you survive the first round and then the second round assuming you survive those snaps you basically are out 10, what, 10, 15 10, 20, 20 points i mean some total. meaningless amount and again if you lose by 10 20 points, points so that's all the more the playoffs like there are other things to look at instead of rostering george valera all the way through or george kirby all the way through there are other things that you're like we missed on this pitcher like we we rostered Marco Gonzalez, and you know that that would probably be the thing I would Chad and I would talk about first before we talked about Valera or Kirby. You know, especially if we can flip Valera and Kirby into something interesting, which you know that that's the second part of the bet that is that is up in the air. It's a, a super unknown what the market will be in you know Memorial Day weekend or whatever whenever we have to make that trade. One other quick note I wanted to make about my squads this year, and I'm not going to get into it too deeply right now because we have another topic I want to talk about. But I did a little bit of an experiment in a first-year league that I was in this year where I didn't draft according to, like, my projected dollar values. I basically drafted from a market perspective where I was just trying to win players for salaries that were less than the first-year average prices for those players. So I'd rostered a lot of players that I normally wouldn't be going after, like Whit Merrifield, Tommy Edmond, you know, Players that the, the projections in the surplus calculator would have shown as being overpaid by the market, I actually went over went after those guys, assuming that the salary at auction was less than the average salary was. And so far, that experiment is not working out very well. Now, it's only <laughs> a single data point, but that team is like eighth or ninth right now. I don't really like the make of that makeup of that team, but I wanted to try something new. Again, I'll probably bring it up in future episodes, just sort of circling back on why I did it and what I think if there's any lessons that could be had from doing it. But for now, I just wanted to mention that I do have this sort of silly squad that I've assembled. So. I, I'd, I'd love to see you do that. I'd love to see you do that experiment, but not take players you don't like, if that makes sense, right? Like, I think the way you did it, the way you, at least you just described it is you were willing to take players that you you actively don't think are players you want on your roster, but were below their market price. I'd be curious to see what would happen if you did the same thing and said, instead of bidding, instead of stopping at what the auction calculator says or what your rate, what, what your you know, projections say you're going to stop at market price, but a guy like Whit Merrifield or Tommy Edmond, if you're actually sort of out on them, you stay out on them. Like even like if they're supposed to be $10 by market value and they're going for six, you're like, I get it. I'm still like, I just don't like these players. But because I, my guess is that my guess is there's something in between <laughs> purely sticking to projections and purely sticking to market that would that would do well for you. I think sometimes the challenge is when you just and I I had this challenge in when I'm doing drafts where sometimes I'm I get caught up like I don't know drafts as well and so I get caught up in this like oh this guy is you know furthest down from his ADP and so he's the best value here and that never works out for me and what I found I'm better off doing is saying like I don't care if this guy's ADP was two rounds ago I don't like this player right and so I'm not going to draft them but I also use ADP to try to shape my strategy and be like, okay, I, I really like this guy, but his ADP is like six rounds from now. And I, I'll happily take him three rounds early, but six rounds early is just, it's just not a good use of my limited resources. So I think there, there might be a balance there that I'd love to see you try, but that's, I guess, a year away now. So make, make a note. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, in that your comment there, it, I'm I'm exactly in line with you. It was part of that sort of expanded comment I wanted to have about this team was exactly that doing something that's more of a blend or more restrictive, right? Filtering out this subset of players and then applying that to the remainder. So, all right. Nobody cares anymore or, or if they uh, ever did about how our teams are doing. Yeah, probably not. Right. We definitely don't. Only the three of us. <laughs> so let's talk about something more interesting and let's talk about the offensive environment and the 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 dead and dry <laughs> the dead and uh, ball dry and, and <laughs> weirdly shaped and the the non teams are all wrong yep, <laughs> yep non bouncy so so uh, the other day uh, I was I was talking to another friend of mine who really likes baseball and she's a big Braves fan and you know we've been having a little bit of offhanded chatter about about the offensive environment and how no one's hitting dingers anymore. And she mentioned Ronald Acuna hit a ball uh, with a 25-degree launch angle, 109-mile-an-hour exit velocity, a 1,000 expected batting average off the off the bat that uh, was an out, okay? So it, it spurred a conversation that Chad and I had a little bit offline, and I want to continue it. First, it's really easy to look up that bat- bat- batted ball event in uh, Savant, and then it's also really easy to see the video of it. So for all the complaining we do about Rob Manfred and about Major League Baseball, BAM is incredible. MLB Advanced Media is just un- unbelievable. It's it's such a wealth of knowledge. So it was easy to find this batted ball event. It was easy to find the video for it. And Brandon Nimmo just makes an amazing catch, running backwards, spinning around over his shoulder. The ball was measured to have gone 411 feet to straightaway dead center in City Field, a park that is... The wall is 408 in center field and it plays deep. And it was, you know, nighttime in New York in April. Every, like he hit up for, uh, he hit 109 mile an hour exit velocity, 411 foot ball in the exact worst place to do it <laughs> at the exact worst time to do it. But it, it made us sort of talk a little bit about the nature of this baseball and, and Chad's really run with it. So I was sort of like handed off to Chad here, talk a little bit about what we've learned, but like, the question is like, so when I came to hit Chad with, Chad, when we were talking about this yesterday, I was like, this is bad. Like, this should be a home run. Ronald Acuna blasted this ball, should be a home run. And Chad was like, is this bad? Because that catch by Brandon Nimmo was pretty sweet. And like, what what is like the good thing or the bad thing we want out of baseball? And like, on one hand, there's a lot of like, baseball is boring because it's just pitching changes and home runs. On the other hand, it's like, like when someone blasts the ball, you would like to see them get rewarded for it. But also we saw some action on that play and seeing action on a ball hit that hard is something that wouldn't have happened, I think, before. So I don't, I don't, I'm kind of agnostic on it now. I've like come off my brink a little bit. I was like dead set to tell Chad, like offense environment is bad. It's capital B bad and everything is bad. And like it's it's making it's this is why my team in League One stinks. And this is every everyone's fault. It's Rob Manfred's fault. He ruined the whole thing. And, and then, uh, you know, I think Chad walked me off the, uh, walked me back from the ledge a little bit there. And, and then we, you did a little, walked you off the ledge. Sounds really different. (laughs) But then what happened? Like we talked, you guys looked a little bit at like, obviously there's a ton of moving parts in this offensive environment. We have a new baseball actively acknowledged. It was used 50% of the time last year. Is that right? Um, yeah, and, yeah, and that was right. a mistake. They meant to introduce it last year, and they did not. They meant to entirely introduce it last year. They did only partially introduce it last year. No one has explained why Major League Baseball, who owns that entire process, made that mistake. Well, they they said it was manufacturing delays because of the pandemic. So they only had the prior ball to start the, the year in 2021. And then once they got the stock that they needed for the new ball, then they introduced it mid-year so, last okay, year. Okay, so that's that's some context to it. The other thing, part of this environment, so they have this new ball. It has, we can talk about the, the attributes of the new ball in a second. The other thing I want to mention is also there's a humidor conversation to be had, right? So this is two-part thing that they introduced all at the same time. And it's super affecting how we're thinking about our fantasy teams and how we're thinking about our real teams. And frankly, for me, uh, especially after the conversation I had with Chad yesterday, it's sort of affecting the way I think about what is enjoyable about a baseball game, right? So, so like, what is enjoyable about a baseball game for you guys? Like, what are we trying to get out of a baseball game? Well, and I think that's, a, that's to me, that's where I start when I'm looking at these sort of 
analysis of this is like, yes, home runs are fun. Strikeouts are fun too, for that matter. However, those things are more fun when they're more rare. And to me, what may, like what I want to see at a baseball game is action. I want to see people running hard and trying to make plays. And that's a thing that doesn't happen on most home runs and most strikeouts. Uh, and certainly not in walks, I guess. But like balls in play, that's where the action right. is, right? Someone hits a ball and the fielders go to try to make a play and the runner tries to beat out the hit. Maybe it gets into a gap. And so you get these like like a ball into the gap that gets cut off where you've seen like a left fielder or center fielder, whoever it is, running full speed to cut the ball off. And then they're going to turn and make a throw back as the runner is going full speed into second base. And there's going to be a play at second base or a ball into a gap where there's a runner on first. And there's going to be a play at the plate. Like that to me is that's exciting. That's action. That's something you're watching unfold in, in a way that I don't think is true for a home run. That's not to say I dislike home runs. Like I said, home runs are also fun, but I think there's a there's baseball would benefit from more action. And so I, what I started to look at here was yes, Woba is down. So last year through basically through this date through May. 4th, May 3rd, because when, when I pulled this data, May 4th, games hadn't started yet. Through May 3rd of 2021, ex-WOBA on the season was 317, and WOBA on the season was 304. This year, WOBA on the season is actually a little bit higher. It's 305, but ex-WOBA on the season is even more higher. <laughs> it's 329. So, like... What that would tell you, in theory, anyways, is that players are making better contact. They're like when they than they did last year, but getting not better results, and that that plays out on batted ball type in a way. Well, the way that plays out in batted ball type, I should say, is that fly balls are being dramatically impacted, but line drives and ground balls are not. So, xwoba on the season so far for fly balls is 481. Last year through this point, it was 478. Very, very similar. Woba on the season for fly balls this year is 393. It was 447 last year. So a big drop in the actual results, despite the fact that the expected results are very similar. Line drives, XWOBA is up a bit to 678 from 662, but Woba is also up 660 versus 648. Ground balls, XWOBA is up a little bit, 235 versus 226, but WOBA is up a little bit, 217 versus 210. So if we assume there's some noise in this data and stuff like that, it, basically what it says to me is that line drives and ground balls are not performing meaningfully differently than they did last year, but fly balls are down. What I like about this is that while fly balls are the most likely type of batted ball to become a home run, for obvious reason, they are also the most likely type of batted ball to become an out. BAPIP on fly balls is lower than on ground balls or line drives. And so more so by rewarding line drives and ground balls, by having those balls perform better, you will eventually convince hitters that they should do more of that and less like it's going to work against the launch angle revolution stuff we've been hearing for the last few years. Right. And, and that'll result in fewer fly balls, which will result in more balls in play. The other thing it'll do is is it will encourage players to make contact more rather than selling out for power more. If selling out for power doesn't deliver the same results because fly balls are not traveling as well, then it becomes less intriguing to sell out for for power and more intriguing to put the ball in play and see what you can get done. And so what I'm seeing when I look at the data overall is so far in MLB this year, there have been 636 home runs across 354 games, which is about 1.8 home runs per game. And per game there means like literally per, you know, two teams, right? Each team is hitting about 0.9 home runs per game. Through the same date last year, there were 906, 976 home runs across 421 games, which is about 2.3 home runs per game. So home runs per game are down by about 0.5. Hits per game, however, is up by a little less than that, by about 0.41. Sorry, non-home run hits is up that about that much. So the combined number of hits in a game is relatively steady, right? It's down 0.1, but I think that's probably noise. But it's just more hits on balls in play, more singles, doubles, and triples, and fewer home runs. But it's half a home run per game, right? So if I think about the excitement of a game, I'm taking my my nine-year-old son, my almost nine-year-old son to a game. He wants to see a home run hit, right? Because he's going to think that's pretty cool. He also wants to see a lot of action. He is, he is almost as likely to see a home run hit, right? Half a home run per game 
is still like it's it's something, but it's not a ton. It adds up to a ton, right? Over the course of a season, we start getting into fantasy analysis. It's a lot. But in terms of like, I turned on a game, am I going to see a home run? The answer is still probably yes. Right. (laughs) Right. And you're getting more hits. In terms of some other data to throw out here, percent of pitches in play through this state last year was 16.7%. This year, it's 17.2%. So batters are putting the ball in play more often. Contact rate through this point last year was 75%. This year, it's 75.9%. Part of that, though, is guys are chasing more. They're swinging at more pitches because contact rate on pitches in the zone is up 1.4% and on pitches out of the zone is up 1%. So guys are guys are swinging more and making contact more and more likely to put balls in play. So all of that, to me, that's that's all good, right? And I think now there's a balance here where if power gets deflated to the point that offense is deflated. I don't think that's great. And runs right now are down about, I think, 5% is the number I've seen thrown around. But I actually, like, in my mind, if hitters adjust to this and start selling out for power less and put the ball in play more, and as a result, offense stabilizes a bit, because, but, but it stabilizes in a way where home runs are down, but runs are not, that's a good outcome to me. That means more balls in play, more action in the game. And like when I take my, you know, when I take my kids to games, like they get excited when the crowd is building up to a moment, right? They get excited when the ball is hitting the gap and guys are running and right. They love that. They also like my son more and more is getting excited about great defensive right. plays. Like he recognized, like we, we were watching the, the Guardians the other day and Andres Jimenez was playing shortstop, made a great play in the hole and an incredible throw across the diamond to get the out. And he was like, wait, who did that? Yeah. Like, what was that? Was like, he recognizes that. Where, and so, like, he doesn't recognize, he doesn't get excited about strikeouts. He doesn't see a strikeout and think, like, yeah, that's really cool. Because if anyone's been to a little league <laughs> game, there's a lot of strikeouts in little league games, right? They don't get excited about strikeouts. Strikeouts are a thing that happens that aren't good. They aren't bad. It's, well, it's okay. literally how well, most of the outs Julian happen. Julian aside, like, your son days. aside, yeah. when you look at it, like, uh, like you've watched a lot of Guardians games this year, right? I watched the game earlier today. I watched that Padres Guardians game. I thought there was a decent amount of action in that game. Are we just unlu- are we just lucky that the Guardians seem to both all our pitching stinks and all our hitters are really good slap hitters? Or like, is this indicative of like the brand of baseball that we can look forward to going forward? Like, there was a lot of offense in the game. There was only I, I only remember the Machado homer, but there was like a lot of hitting and a lot of situations. Yeah. Lots of stealing bases. I, I think that's like gone up a little bit for us, at least. Like the Guardians are are, go, are stealing more bases this year. Is that something that like, is that what we want baseball to be? Is that like the uh, optimal? So, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a fair question. I think it is fair to point out that like as Guardians fans right now, there's no, there's no question that, you know, we're watching Miles Straw and Stephen Kwan and Jose Ramirez, who, Earl, while he hits for a lot of power, doesn't really strike out skills. a ton. Yeah. Owen Miller, totally. And the organization has clearly prioritized right. that over the years. And so that's been like, there's no question that we are, that the Guardians are benefiting more from this new environment than other teams. And so, yes, I'm, I'm probably biased in that regard. However, it's I, I like it better. I like that style of play better. Well, and, and you mentioned that it was a, a good outcome, the result of this ball. And I, I would say it's not, yes, it, it, depending on your subjective point of view, it's a good outcome. But I think it's also the intended right, outcome, that's, right? That's, like this is, a, right. this is a direct consequence of the changes that they've made, the decision to install the humidors in all parks to sort of, they want, they also don't want there to be quite as drastic park yeah, effects so let's when talk it comes the humidor to, too, right? you know. Because that's another big part of this. Yeah. And I mean, so, so. For me, okay, there, I, I mentioned when we were chatting about this on Slack, the three of us earlier, I said it's it's a bunch of confounding factors. You've got the, the new baseball that has more drag and less bounce. You have a humidor that's in all parks. Now, when the humidors were first introduced a few years ago, it was Colorado and it was Arizona because those are very low humidity cities. And the lower humidity, the elevation the just fly out. meant that, yeah. that balls were flying out of the park. Right. And so the humidor was to make the balls more humid, to make them heavier and not travel as far. So it was to reduce the the uh, batted ball distance effectively. The problem is if you have a city that's already humid, 
and you install a humidor, you're actually going to have those baseballs have less humidity than they normally would have, like let's say last year. And then those baseballs will actually fly further. <laughs> now, the problem is right now, it's only, it's May now, we've got April and, and then a few days of May in the books right now. Every city in, in America is basically at its lowest point humidity, humidity right? Even the places that are humid so that, will that, be more humid. Good luck, Miami. So a lot of these parks, and there's been articles... <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and there's been articles like, you know, Saris has written about this a ton for the, for the, on the athletic about the effect that this might have in the summer months on some of these parks that didn't have a humidor last year, that it's actually going to increase. Something we've been talking um, about a bunch, offense, uh, you know, I live in DC, and, so I've been talking about it a bunch with my friends here about how the Nats cannot hit now. Nelson Cruz has just had a real cold start to the season and stuff. And like, how do we think about that once the humidor starts making that ball a little bouncier in June and July than it ever has been? Right. And then the other the, sort of an extra third factor to, to to think about is our hitters just way behind as far as their preparation for a typical season because they're yeah, short in spring training. Are the pitchers we, we ahead of, about that of, last of year, hitters? Right? We did. Actually, yes, we did. And I think I, I read an article that talked about it was for the 2020 delayed start season, that it was the same issue then. And I read an article that said that, yes, there was an effect through the first, you know, four to six weeks of the season that hitters performed worse than you might have expected them to. And the cause likely being they're, you know, taking some, needing some time, right? Like, I mean, as of a week or two ago, maybe that would have been a normal amount of spring training. And now hitters are finally, you know, timing things up properly. Another factor I think that might be Relevant is the fact that you've got all these expanded roster rules right now. Starting pitchers don't have to go six innings. They don't even have to go five in, in a lot for a lot of these teams because they have such a deep bullpen. Now, the reason that they weren't going to go that far is because they didn't have the stamina built up. But the side effect of that is I think you're getting better, shorter performances out of the starting pitchers and then relief appearances. Um, I Relief pitching has been good this year. Like, I feel like last year there was a lot of stories about Relief, relief pitching was historically not as good as it would normally be in relation to starting pitching. And I feel like that's bounced back a little bit where we're getting a lot better relief performances to start this season than we did throughout last year. I mean, that could just be an anecdote. But, you know, so there's there's multiple factors and many of them are dragging down offense, especially on fly balls, as Chad said, like that, that delta between WOBA and expected WOBA, that tells you that if you control for the quality of contact and everything else that the outcomes are just worse. And there's got to be a reason. And the reason has to be the new baseball and maybe some of these effects from the humidor, because if a, if a city's got low humidity right now, because it's, it's been April and, and May, maybe it had a downgrade effect on, on batted ball distance for these couple months, but then it's going to shoot up July, August, September. I think we're going to see offensive numbers, the home runs per fly the ball, idea, home runs per batted ball event. The idea I think you're going to get back to closer really to normal. That every single baseball in every single park should have the exact same sort of uh, weight, right? Like, the idea is that in places that are uh, more humid, right. they were they were they're too heavy, in a, too heavy, and in places where it's less humid, they're they're too bouncy or whatever, right? Yeah, but it has to do with where they're stored, and one of the one of the challenges is that there's no consistency in that, right? So, like, right, if you take a really humid place, but you stored the ball in like a climate controlled, air conditioned room, like it was yeah. in like an office somewhere. And you took another really humid place, and it was stored in like right, a right, warehouse. Right. Those balls are going to perform really differently because they're going to have they're going to be they're they the climate in which they are stored right, is right, meaningfully right. different in terms of the amount of moisture that gets into the ball. the The humidor will balance that. It won't matter where you put it as long as it's in that humidor. It'll be at what it, just what you say it's fifty seven percent humidity or something. It's like a, yeah, that's yeah. There's cores is different. I think it's sixty five percent, but the so rest of them are fifty seven percent. The main thing we want to talk about uh, here in this podcast, and like you know, I know. We want to. We don't want to really go too far over an hour here, but how does this affect? So this is why I was talking about when I was talking about my League One team. I'm not 100 percent sure my team is a competitive team to begin with. I really wanted to get into OPL this year. I think the play is to hold on to some of your underperforming hitters if you can, if you can make the argument to yourself, you know, and like making the argument to yourself is really where the uh, good fantasy players live and die. Right. Like, are you being reasonable? Or are you not being reasonable? 
But when I look at guys like like Bats, like one, one of the guys we talked about in League 13, Chad and I both, the team we come in, we have Chris Bryant. I have Chris Bryant in League 1. And Chad was like, you know, this is a great way to get a bunch of cap space freed up if we want to make some like bigger moves. And obviously the free agent market plays a big play in that. But the reality of it was Chris Bryant is hitting okay other than the fact that he is not producing home runs yet. Do I believe he will not produce home runs the entire season? He's just completely lost his ability to hit home runs. Well, if he has, that means that like a lot of players have lost their ability to home, hit home runs. And if he hasn't, I want to hold on to him because I want to get that binge when it when it does come. The other thing is like you guys kind of carved out a pretty good argument between Chad's argument that hitters will adjust now that they see where uh, the benefit lies in terms of the way you want to hit the ball. And Justin's argument about how the humidor will affect in these parks. What was it? Two thirds of parks didn't have a humidor last year, right? It's not a small number. Right. Right. It was so only- we have a bunch of ballparks that are about to uh, get the positive part of the humidor, right? Not about to, but you would think end of May into, you know, you guys have all sat outside before. You know what? You know when it starts getting sticky, these sticky places where the humidor will actually start being beneficial combined with perhaps some players like like the, like taking the more of the guardians approach that Chad was mentioning like trying to be high contact because there's more benefit in being contacty the shift can't do a lot when you're hitting the ball 100 miles an hour there's all these different ideas that come into play that i think maybe may may turn may like against even against like what baseball major league baseball intends may turn june and july into like historically offensive months like into like pretty good offensive months that are distributed across the entire league rather than one or two ballparks being really, really good. And that, that could be like a really interesting, I, from a fantasy perspective, I don't know if it makes sense to sell until like mid or late June at the very earliest this year. I, I mean, I'm normally waiting until Memorial day to make big trades like that anyway, but yeah, I agree. I think we need to see some more, at least I have almost, an understanding I that, make this the argument that no one should make here. no one should sell this year in a sense <laughs> because the offense is like it's I, I think you guys have carved out a pretty interesting like if you put together the humidor from over here and the adjusting from over here a pretty interesting case that June and July could be like nuts could be really fun it all could be not I, I think I the, the guys I'd be yeah the guys I'd be looking at if I'm if I'm worried are like guys like Fran Mill Reyes, Joey Gallo, like the guys who who are high fly ball rate, big power guys. And I'd be looking at players like that. And if they're underperforming, trying to figure out, are they underperforming because fly balls are underperforming? Or are they underperforming because there's something else going on? Because if they're underperforming because fly balls are underperforming and we believe that the change in humidity is going to change the way is going to rebalance that in some way, then they become interesting by low opportunities. If, however, they're just, you know, striking out more or they are hitting fewer fly balls or there's something else going on where they're actually like, there's a different change. Like it's not just the ball. There's has, something actually uh, wrong there. Lost a skill. Right. So you're sort of, sort of still looking at it in the same yeah. way, right? But you're like a, a little bit, I, I think that's right. You like, you have to be a little bit more forgiving of a year over year, like WOBA change or a year over year ISO change. But if there are year over year strikeout rate, a strikeout percentage or walk percentage or other skills that, that makes sense. But that, that's what you yeah. should be doing every if, year. Sure. But I, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is like, Anybody who is an extreme fly ball hitter who relies on power is going to be underperforming to this point in the season, except for Anthony. <laughs> yeah, right. But everyone else, <laughs> the, the rest of them, that's going to be the, that's going to be true. If every if you have a guy like that on your team and everything looks normal, but their performance is bad, those are the guys who I'm like, man, I might want to wait for it to get more humid and see how it goes, or or you might want to buy in on them. I don't know. Mid May, late May, early June, before it starts to warm up, like th- those are guys that I'd be interested in buying low at that time. A guy who isn't reliant on fly balls like that, I'm more concerned about because their line drive, like someone who hits a lot of line drives and ground balls, yeah, th- yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think like that—that's where I am. Like you know, Gallo, 
he's actually getting fewer fly balls than he has since his rookie year. His strikeout rates back up over 40% for the first time in a really long time. Like there's some there's some actual concerning things going on with Joey Gallo. Similarly, Framil Reyes is striking out 46% of the time. Like that's more concerning to me with those guys than their home run rates. Because I think there's a good chance those home run rates rebound. It's the other stuff that that is making me nervous. Whereas I'm trying to think of another guy who's underperforming that isn't as reliant on that kind of stuff. Like so like Trey Mancini might be a good example of a guy who like his strikeout rate looks fine. His walk rate's down a little bit, but it's not crazy. Like the big thing that stands out with Trey Mancini is his home run per fly ball rate is down. And if I believe home run per fly ball rate's going to come back, and maybe he's a bad example because he's a right-handed hitter at Oriole Park where there's now, you know, the deeper fence in left field. So like yep. maybe I made a bad choice there with him. But if I'm actually I'm buying Trey Mancini right now because I think that his his performance like there's a lot of really good strong numbers there. His barrel rate is up, his hard hit rate is up, and if you believe that the ball is going to start to perform better as the air gets more humid, which it sounds like it should, then he's an interesting buy low to me because everything else looks good. The only thing that looks bad is his home run per fly ball rate versus Gallo or Franmil who are actually struggling. So. I don't know, I, that, that's how I would look at it. I, and, and from that regard, maybe it's no different than any other year, like Niv said, right? It's like, if I, I should be looking at, you know, skill changes, and if there's not a skill change, and it's just the results that are that are changing, the results will probably bounce back. But the difference there unless, is, unless if Major a guy's baseball, real issue, right, unless, unless Major baseball accidentally killed the entire offensive environment, which, yeah, which, I mean, you, you can't play anything <laughs> fast at this point. Yeah, <laughs> but right, but right. What Chad said is right. Like this um, is the evaluation, you like we you want to be doing all the time anyway. I, you know, I say that, and then you know, yeah, I fix bugs instead of actually doing it. But it would be nice. Hey, it'd be cool to do that sometime. <laughs> what one one interesting side effect about all this, by the way, is when we were talking about how our teams have done. I before we recorded, I mentioned to Chad that I've got a team that's in second place, but they're way, way, way above the innings pitched pace. Which normally would mean that 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 team's going to fall off, and they probably will. But it might be good. Is it the worst thing in the world yeah, to be above the innings pace early in this season when offense is historically bad? I mean, maybe it'll work out okay, and then I can rein in my innings, and then uh, my offense will pick up the pace because I've got a lot of bad offenses on my auto new team. I, think, I mean, I know everybody does, but it's it's rough out yeah, there. Yeah, I think banking those innings like it's good, it might, right? As long as offense is down. It wasn't intentional. I want to be clear about yeah. this. It wasn't some master plan. It was. It, it might just end up being a lucky, but it, good fortune. Yeah. I think to try to sort of summarize this, I, I think what I'm, you know, I made my point before that I think this is actually good for the game of baseball, that I actually like seeing more action, and I think that that's, that will hopefully adjust. However, I, I think from a fantasy perspective, the way I'm looking at this right now is I do think that as the air gets more humid, like power will go up as the air gets more humid. It always does. Right. And, and we know that power is down even accounting for weather. So that's it. But because of the humidors, I do believe that power will increase more relative to the weather than it typically does. That right. The, 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 the slope of the line from April power to July power will be steeper, which means that July power will look more like previous July power than April power has looked like previous April power. And because of that, I am willing to buy low on or forgive guys whose home run per fly ball rate is their primary issue yeah. so far this year. And there are players like that. Yep. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. What, what a world if this actually turns out to be accidentally a good offensive environment by the end of it. Well, and I, I, I mean, I would put my flag down as this year at the end of, at the end of the season, the home run per fly ball rate is going to look basically identical to last year you're just going to have much more drastic gaps between early in the year and then the, and I'm the also the, the other thing to point um, out uh, is it's super interesting to see you mentioned it I think uh, Justin earlier it'll be really interesting to see what park effects look like at the end of this season because it you know it is historically a way that people have tried to gain an advantage in fantasy and if it starts evening out a bit where a lot a lot of them are close to 101 102 and fewer 110 spikes. I think that's probably good for baseball. And also it'll be less of a 
of a differentiator when you decide who to start or who to pick up or whatever. Yep. We'll see. We'll have to, we'll have to circle back in a, you know, closer to the end of the year and see if any of that came true or not. So, all right, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you for everybody who takes the time to listen. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you guys next time. Yeah,